Last week, Janie and I were uh, in Austin at uh, Whitestone Church. Cameron and Stacy Corbin asked if we would come down and, and preach. And so I got a chance to go down there and hang out with them. And it was awesome to be in their church. Uh, miss you guys, but it was, a, it was a great opportunity to be there with them. Uh, <clears throat> then we drove from, as soon as church was over, we went to lunch. And then we drove to Dallas, spent the night. We flew to Minneapolis for the Praying Pelican um, meetings the end of summer meetings, and so I don't remember the exact numbers. Uh, two years ago, we had 12,000 missionaries from Praying Pelican, associated with Praying Pelican, go all over the world, and I don't remember the, the number of churches. It was like five or 600 churches that we were able to go and minister to. Last year, we went from 12,000 down to less than 2,000 because of COVID. This year, we were back close to 6,000 that went out this summer, We uh, and I think it was 223 churches that we were able to minister to, and that includes our our trip to uh, Lake Charles. And then next year, if, if Delta doesn't get us or Lambda or Alpha, I don't know, any of those things, um, we anticipate being back up, up around 12,000 participants going all over the world, building up the local church. And I was able to speak with them on one, one of the days of the meetings. And I just let them know, I said, you know, if this organization ever stops building the local church, I can't be associated with it because I believe the local church is the hope of the world. Jesus established, God established two, two um, institutions. The first, in the Garden of Eden, he established the physical family. And then when Jesus Christ came and gave his life, he established the spiritual family. When we call the bride of Christ, that's the church. And so I, I just keep preaching this message. The way you view the church is the way you view Jesus Christ. The way you view my bride, it was so cool. So, so the, the praying pelican folks, I've been around them for several years now, <clears throat> been on the board for three years and so they knew me and they, they know my personality, you know, and I've done, uh, talked with them. Anyway, they got to meet Janie this, this week. It was so cool to see her in her element. Janie has the spiritual gift of mercy and she has the unspoken gift of mercy. There's two gifts of mercy. One is spoken where you know the right thing to say in the right situation and you just bring peace from your, your words of mercy. But Janie has the unspoken gift of mercy. <clears throat> so she's sitting out at this picnic table at this church camp in, in Minnesota and just doing her thing. She's crafting and, and picking locks because that's one of our things to do. And they thought that was so funny. But before you know it, somebody, I would look out the window and I would see somebody sitting down and they would just pour their heart out to Janie. And it's just her gift is to listen and, and to be a support. And so it was awesome that they got to know her. And, and um, anyway, so we had a great time. But here's what I want you to know. Whether it's Whitestone Church in Austin, Texas, whether it's Praying Pelican Missions, which is uh, headquartered in Minneapolis, um, or it's New Life or any other place or organization that is seeking to honor the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. The enemy, his tactics are the same to destroy any of those, those things. So we talked about this two weeks ago. <clears throat> this is just review. First thing he takes is desire. Y'all pray for my voice. I, I sucked down some, uh, some eggs down into my windpipe and I hadn't been the same since. Um, <clears throat> it was this morning. First thing is desire. He takes a legitimate desire and he tempts you to, to meet that legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. And so he brings in deception. All he has to do is plant the seed. And if you look at it long enough, eventually you're going to give into that. He knows that he just gets in a dialogue with you and he brings the deception. Then he brings, then he allows you. So desire, then the next one is deception, disobedience. He knows if he just lets you think about it, if you don't change the channel of your mind, the only offensive weapon we have against his tactics is the word of God, which is the, the sword of the spirit. 
Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. We don't say it is written. We don't have that sword. And so when, when we don't fight it with the word of God, we disobey. And every time, I want you to say every time. Every time we disobey, it brings about death. Death is the last one. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to show you a story, one of my favorite stories in Scripture, <clears throat> because of the way it ends up, not because of what David did. Um, but I want you to think about these four steps. Desire, deception, disobedience, death. Desire, deception, disobedience, death. This is the way the enemy works from the beginning in the Garden of Eden <clears throat> until now. So in First Chronicles 21.1, it says this. Satan decided to cause trouble for Israel by making David think it was a good idea to find out how many people there were in Israel and in Judah. So he starts with a desire. Now, what's the big thing about counting the people in, um, in Israel? Well, first of all, it was not God's idea to do it. Now, I think I put the, that slide up there. There's, there's such a thing as a good idea, and then there's such a thing as a God idea. Go back to the good idea, if you would. There are lots of things that are good ideas. You, you think of them, oh, they're, that's a good idea. But it's not a God idea. There's one, one letter that's different. <clears throat> what David was going to do that day was not a good idea. It was not a God idea. That means it was a bad idea. And if the idea doesn't come from God, where does it come from? You got two choices. You got the God of heaven. You got the God of this world. If it doesn't come from the God of heaven, where does the, where does the idea come from? The God of this world. Let's try that again. You got two choices. You got the God of heaven. You got the God of this world. The God of this world is a lowercase g. It's Satan. It's the devil. It's the accuser of God's people. All right. We're clear on that. You got two options, God, the father, the big one true G God and the little G God who wants to be the big G God. So you got two choices. If it's not from the God of heaven, it has to be from where? God of this earth. All right. We're on the same page. Now here's the deal. <clears throat> In the scripture, we're told how the, the Jews were told how they could have a census and do it the right way. But this wasn't a census to, to figure out how many people should get, pay tax to support the temple. That's what it says in uh, Exodus chapter 30. This was a military census. There had been other military censuses. But this was not God's idea, and it was only because David was proud. And I'm going to show you why. So David was nearing the end of his life. He's getting ready to hand over the kingdom to his son Solomon. And for whatever reason, he decides to count the military. I want to know how many people are in my army, as if the size of his army was ever the strength of the kingdom. Because, because David's army fought kingdoms much larger, huge, and God gave them victory over them. So the, God was the source of strength, not the size of his military. Now, David has a military commander. His name is Joab. Joab is a, uh, he's a great military guy. He's a horrible spiritual guy, right? So, <clears throat> so he was good at leading military. He was not somebody who worshiped God on a regular basis. He was not a spiritual man. And even Joab realizes this is a bad idea. Here's what Joab says in 1 Chronicles 21.3. But Joab replied, may the Lord increase the number of his people a hundred times over. But why, my Lord, the king, do you want to do this? Are they not all your servants, meaning everybody in the kingdom? Look what he says. This is a non-spiritual man. Why must you cause Israel to sin? Joab knew that the only reason David was asking for this census was because he was full of pride. How big is my army? Now, Joab's, like, Joab's saying, dude, this isn't a good idea. This is going to get us in trouble with God. Why would you want to get us in trouble with God? So I, I put this up there. Go ahead and put that statement up there if you would. 
when a non-spiritual person says to you, isn't that going to make God mad? Here should be your big fat sign that you shouldn't do whatever it is you've decided to do. Are you with me? Big fat sign. David says, whatever. So the scripture actually says that David's command overrode Joab's concern. I want to know how big my army is. David doesn't care. He orders the census. Now you remember, David is the man earlier in his life was called a man after God's own heart. Then he sins with Bathsheba. And, And I've heard people say, he was called a man after God's own heart after his sin with Bathsheba. No, he wasn't. Look it up. Before his sin with Bathsheba, he was called a man after God's own heart. He sins with Bathsheba, and now he's about to make another sin and make the whole country sin. So it takes nine months and 20 days, or about 10 months, to do this whole census. And then Joab comes back in verse 5. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to David. And in, in all Israel, there were over 1,100,000 men who could handle the sword, including 470,000 in Judah. Judah is where um, Jerusalem is. So, man, half a million soldiers right here around the, the capital. We got 1.1 million. We got this big old army. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin. Levi was the priest, and the priests were exempt from military service. Benjamin, we don't know why he left them out, except that maybe maybe it's because that's where Saul was from, and, and that's where the, the tabernacle was at that point. And maybe Joab, the non-spiritual man, maybe he's like, I am not invading God's territory to disobey God for my king. We don't know for sure, but maybe. Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. A non-spiritual person. This command, this is what's worse. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. David's order to count the people made God angry, and he punished Israel. He says it twice. He punished Israel. <clears throat> now, there's a parallel story in 2 Samuel um, chapter 24. It's the same story, but there's some other details. First of all, it says that the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Israel had done something that, that got God's attention, and it's, his anger burned against them. So God allowed the enemy of God to entice David to sin. Now, somewhere in the nine months, really close to the, after the nine months are over, it says this in, in verse 8. <clears throat> David prayed, I am your servant, but what I did was stupid and terribly wrong. The NIV says, I have sinned greatly. Now, when he, when he sinned with Bathsheba, and he's confronted nine months later. There's something about nine months in David and his sin. I don't know what it is. Nine months later, when he's confronted by the prophet Nathan, David says, I have sinned. Here after nine months, David says, I have sinned greatly. And I believe the Lord agrees with him because with the, in the sin of Bathsheba, you remember he, he uh, commits adultery with her, gets her pregnant, has her husband killed, and then he pronounces judgment whenever he's, called, uh, whenever he's confronted by Nathan. He says, that man should pay four times over. Guess how many of David's sons die as judgment because of his sin with Bathsheba? He pronounced the judgment and God carried it out. So four people died, including Uriah. So five people died in the sin with Bathsheba. But he says, I have sinned greatly. Please forgive me. He didn't say, you have sinned. He didn't pull an Adam and say, that woman you gave me, she tempted me. He didn't say, it's not my fault, my parents or my spouse. It's not my, no, he said, I have sinned. David prayed, I am your servant, but what I did was stupid and terribly wrong. Please forgive me. Okay, God, I've blown it. Will you forgive me? And here's what God says. God says, of course I'll forgive you. I'll always forgive you, but I will not remove the consequences of your sin. Now, isn't it true? 
that many times when we confess to God, we've already been caught and we're begging God to remove the consequences of our sin. It's not because we have a right heart. It's not because we want to defeat the enemy. It's because we just don't want to suffer the consequences of our own actions. The whole nation knows that a census has been taken, that it was not God's idea. David knew better, but he refused, and now he would have to pay the price. And it is a huge price because the sin was so blatant and so public. Because his sin was so blatant and so public, God's response was very blatant and very public. Um, the census was, was, see, it was more than just, so with Bathsheba, that was sin of passion, which is still a sin. But this was a sin of the will. He knew better. It was rebellion. I know the right thing to do. I'm not going to do it. And God is going to punish him severely. And besides, he gave him another nine months to repent. So God sends a prophet named Gad, G-A-D, Gad, and, and says, you get to choose what's going to happen next. So in First Chronicles 21, 12, you chose to defy me, David. Now you choose the discipline. You can have three years of famine, three months of being swept away before your enemies with their swords overtaking you, or three days of the sword of the Lord. Now look what the sword of the Lord is. Days of plague in the, in the land with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. So I'm kind of curious, which would you choose? So let's look at it. Here's the numbers. Go ahead and do the next one. 1,095 days of severe famine and people are going to just be struggling, looking for food. They're going to die for lack of nutrition. That's choice one. Option two, 90 days of the enemy armies. Now, when we're talking about the enemy armies, we're, people, we're talking about people that sacrifice women and children. You can have 90 days of that. They're going to overrun. They are going to, they're going to destroy you. Or you can have three days of the angel of the Lord. What is that word? Ravaging every part of Israel through disease. David chose the Lord. He said, you know, I don't want to do the famine thing. I don't want other people in this country. I don't trust them. I'm going to trust the living God because he's merciful. So desire. I would like to know how many people are in my military. Deception, it was Satan who planted the seed. You need to do this. You need to know how big your army is. Disobedience and death. God sends the disease and the angel of the Lord starts walking around. And it says with his sword drawn. And he walks around every part of Israel. And he gets to Jerusalem. Before he gets to Jerusalem, 70,000 men died. Desire, deception disobedience, death. With Bathsheba, four of his sons died. With this sin, 70,000 men from Israel died. Now, the angel of the Lord was coming, and and, and it says that in a minute, David and the leaders are going to see the angel of the Lord suspended between heaven and earth with his sword drawn, ready to strike Jerusalem. As the angel, whatever, whatever that looks like, as the angel's about to strike Jerusalem, the Lord said, stop. Uh, the Lord had mercy. And he stops right over the threshing floor of a man named Aruna. He's a Jebusite. He's not even a Jew. And at this point, that's when David and, the angel, and his elders saw the angel of the Lord. And what they did, because I don't know where we get the idea that angels are these little fat little babies with rosy cheeks and, and wings laying on a cloud. An angelic being is a warrior. And this is the angel of the Lord. 
Every time someone saw an angel in his natural element, they fell on their face as dead men. That's what David and the leaders do. And they repented of their sin. Because here's the deal. Here's the principle. Public sin requires public repentance. If there's something between me and you, then it should be between me and you. If there's something between me and the church, it should be between me and the church. Right? The more public the sin, the more public the humiliation. See, Jesus tells us this. In in Matthew 23, 12, Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And, and, And if you're a thinking person, you'd say, by whom? And Jesus say, by me. You're going to exalt yourself before me? I will humble you. And, and there's only three letters difference between humble and humiliation or something like that. I did that before, looked up that up before. Humiliation is I'm going to try to be great in God's eyes and God says, I will put you down. But God says, if you will humble yourself, I will lift you up. So the angel sends word to David. So he, the angel talks to Gad, and Gad goes back to David, and he says, build an altar right here on the threshing floor of Aruna. Offer the, offer the proper sacrifices to God at the very place where the angel of the Lord has stopped. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of the story. While all this is going on, the Bible tells us that Aruna and his sons were threshing wheat, all right? So they're on the threshing floor, and what they would do is they would have this, this fork or this shovel thing, and they would throw the wheat up in the air, and the chaff is the light stuff that they don't want. The wind would catch it and blow it away, and the good stuff would fall back down. So the scripture says this. While, while he's doing this, while he and his sons are threshing wheat, Aruna ta- turned and saw the angel, <clears throat> and his four sons who were with him, what'd they do? They hid themselves, but Aruna continued threshing wheat. He was working. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He looks up, sees an angelic being with a heavenly sword taking people out. People are dying right and left. What does he do? He keeps on working. And here's what I think. This is not in the scripture. This is my opinion. Aruna's like, I don't think he's here for me. His sons are like, head for the hills. And Aruna's got a clear conscience. Now, this is interesting to me. That, that, that's my opinion. That's the Washburn perverted version of the scripture, right? But that's what I think happened. He's not here for me. I'm going to keep working. His son's head for the hills. This is just amazing. I hope, I hope I get to meet this dude in heaven. But then Aruna, he's working, sees the angel, goes back to working. Then he sees the king. This is interesting to me. When he sees the king, he runs out and he bows before him. He doesn't bow before the angel of the Lord. He bows before the king. He's he's like, the king needs something. The king wouldn't be at my threshing floor if he didn't need something. So he runs out. He bows before David. David says, I need your threshing floor for a sacrifice. And Aruna is a great guy. He's like, take it, king. Take whatever you need. You can have have it. Here's the floor. Here's Here's the animals for a sacrifice. You can take my threshing tools. You can use that for the wood, for the fire. You take whatever you need. You get right with God. Because I think he's bowing down. He goes, because he's here for you. That's what I think. You get right with God. Now, <clears throat> David could have taken the gift from, the, from Aruna and turned around and given it to the Lord, right? Because technically re-gifting is still gifting, right? Dude, we were, in a, we were in a church when we got married and we had the, the, uh, the shower, the wedding shower. And we got like 800 crockpots. I'm making this up, but 
We had crockpots in the, in the attic for years. We regifted those suckers. Every time somebody else got married, we gave them a crockpot. Because we had a storehouse of crockpots. And we get a little thank you note. Thank you for my crockpot. I'm like, you're so welcome. Actually, I didn't say anything. I'm just like, yeah, I didn't pay a dime for that. Regifting is still gifting, but here's what David says. Because when the angel of the Lord is there for you, you need to be real careful what you say. David replied, no, no. Hey, actually, no. I want to pay you what they're worth. I can't just take something from you and then offer the Lord a sacrifice that costs me what? David pays full price because David understands this principle. If it costs you nothing, it is not a sacrifice. He buys the threshing floor and the land around it. They offer sacrifices. He pays for the the animals and the threshing floor an incredible amount of money because David knows it isn't a sacrifice if it doesn't hurt. And he knows it's not service if it doesn't cost you something. Now, one of my favorite things about God is he's a God of details. And there's some details in this story you need to know. So, so that really would have been the end of the story, but it continues in, uh, <clears throat> in First Chronicles. The place where the angel of the Lord stopped is Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is where Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. When God was testing him, see what kind of man he was. God's a God of details. So it's at that place where Abraham offers his son, where now David has to offer sacrifices for the kingdom. David says in in 22.1, he goes, this is the place where the house of the Lord is going to be built. So for thousands of years, Jewish people worshipped at that place where Abraham offered Isaac, where David offered sacrifices, where the temple would be built. It's the place where the house of the Lord was going to be built. The whole nation would sacrifice for their sins there. And the thing that tied Abraham to David to the house of the Lord, there's one word that tied them all together, and it's the word sacrifice. Now, we fast forward a thousand years after that to when God looks down and he sees that, 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 that humans are bound for hell and he can't stand it. And look what it says in Romans 3, 25. This is the message translation. God sacrificed, there's that word again. We give because God gave first. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him, Jesus, sets us in the clear. God decided on his course of action in full view of the public because the sin was public, because the humiliation was public. He put Jesus as a public spectacle to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. God looked down. He had to decide what to do with rebellious human beings. The Bible tells us he was very patient until the fullness of time came. At just the right time, he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. And and if you read the scriptures, you'll see that Jesus willingly laid down. And, And I believe he opened his hands. I don't believe he was balled up. I believe he opened his hands to fully accept the sins of the world. And how we know when you begin to grow spiritually, how you begin to combat the enemy is when you begin to open up your hands as well to whatever God has for you. Jesus became our sin substitute. And when you put your trust in Christ, not only do you become a Christian, Not only do you become a part of God's family, but slowly and surely you open up your hands and you say, whatever is mine is yours because it all came from you. You release your resources to God out of a spirit of gratitude. 
<clears throat> you see, the people who are grateful give. Ungrateful people don't give. So you show me a selfish person, and I'll, say, I'll show you someone who's taken his eyes off the cross. They've forgotten what it took to purchase their freedom. And, and, and this has nothing to do with paying the bills at New Life Community Church. Has nothing to do with, you know, we're saving money and hopefully someday we can build a new worship center. Has nothing to do with that. Has everything to do with gratitude for what Christ has done. I open up my hands and I say, I'm grateful for what you did, so everything you have given me is yours. David said, I can't offer something to God that costs me nothing. And my question to you is, if you offer God only that which costs you nothing, are you really a believer in Christ? I don't know, jury's out. See, there are people that give God the leftovers of their time. There's people who give God the leftovers of their money. If that's you, is Jesus really Lord? Come on, Doug, give me a break. Enough with the sacrifice. Why do you keep talking about sacrifice? Well, because the Bible talks about it. Check this out. The word faith is in the scripture. Come on, next slide. There we go. Next slide. Faith is in the scripture 246 times. Would you say that faith is an important thing in scripture? Without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? You have to have faith in God or you don't go to heaven. So it's 246 times. Hope, that's a good word, right? Anybody want hope? How many times? I don't remember. 185 times. And, you know, Paul says faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love is 733 times. You know how many times the word give or giving is in the scripture? 2,285 times. Almost twice, if you add up faith, hope, and love, it's almost twice the number. Why would God have that many times that he has to tell us about giving? I think it's because our memories are very, very short when it comes to the blessings of God. If you remember the story of when Moses led the the Israelites out of Egypt, and and he holds out his hands, and God parts the Red Sea, and and the uh, the Israelites walk through on dry ground, and then he turns around, and the Egyptian armies start to follow in, and and God tells him to put his hands together, and and God completely wipes out the Egyptian army, just destroys them all. Three days after that. Now, they stood on the side of the shore, and, and you know, there's, there's uh, chariot parts and, <laughs> I don't know, bodies floating everywhere, and they sing this song about how great the horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. They sing about the greatness of God. Three days later, you know what they were doing? Complaining, whining. We don't have any water. We don't like Moses. He's leading us the wrong way. Moses goes up on the mountain and he gets the the Ten Commandments. The law of God. He's gone for 40 days. We don't know where this Moses guy went. He's been gone a long time. Let's make our own God and go back to Egypt. So his brother, Aaron, they give him all the jewelry. He throws it in the fire. This is what he says. He fashions it into an idol. It's a cow. And he says, here's your God. So when Moses comes back and confronts him, he said, oh, well, these people, they were grumbling and they gave me this stuff and I just threw it in the fire and out jumped a cow. I am not making that up. It was not my fault. The cow just jumped out and they were like, oh, that's a God. No, it's not. You idiots. They get right with God. 
They celebrate the Passover at the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. Three days after getting right with God, you know what they were doing? Whining and complaining. Whining and complaining are conditioned responses to hard times. It is completely natural to complain. But when you complain, this is what I, when you complain, this is what you do. You express your fear that God is unfaithful. Oh, we'll sing about your faithfulness, but let me go through one hard time. Oh, God, where are you? Fear is the opposite of faith. Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So with faith, it is possible to please God. Fear should be a warning sign. We're putting our trust in what we can see, not what God sees. Second thing is, when you complain, you reveal your ungrateful heart. Grumbling shows that not only are you not grateful for what you do have, you're telling God, I could do a better job of running the universe than you. That's what grumbling and complaining reveals. Third thing, it encourages others to stop trusting God. Complaining and whining is contagious. It's what happened over and over when the Israelites were in the wilderness. One person started complaining. It spread to others. You remember when the 12 spies went into the promised land? God said, I'm giving you this land. I will deliver the land to you. So if they send 12 spies in, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, come back and say, it's an awesome land. Let's take it. God said, we can take it. Let's take it. Ten of the spies said, oh, no. Those people are really big. They say, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Joshua and Caleb like, our God's bigger. Let's go. And they're like, no. And the 10 spies completely turned the entire nation against Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua. Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua are the only four dudes on the planet who wanted to go into the promised land. And they wanted to stone them. Let's pick up rocks. Let's kill the four guys who want to follow God. See, complaining indicates you've taken your eyes off yourself and it makes you do ridiculous things. How else can you explain? Let's stone, let's kill the four dudes who want to follow God. (laughs) Complainers are everywhere. It is completely natural to complain. It is supernatural not to complain. And how do you get to where you're not complaining? Well, I think I put the, is it, I have the faithful, is that next? Not faithful, one word, two words, faithful. People do not complain. Why? Because our God is bigger. Our God is greater. Our God is higher than any other. We sing the song. We don't mean it. We don't live it. Philippians 2, 14 says, do everything without what? Do Grumbling or mumbling. Do everything without what? Or... So that you may become pure, blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will, look at this word, then you will shine among them a crooked and depraved generation like stars in the skies you hold firmly to the word of God, word of life. So this is the problem. When you complain, the number four is your light is dimmed. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whenever we start to complain, our light begins to fade. We, We stop reflecting him. So Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16. He says, your light, your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So here's some ways that you can let your light shine. On uh, September 19th, 
we're going to have Back to Church Sunday where we're just inviting people to come to church. And we have these little invite cards. And on the front, it says a church for everyone. It has New Life Community Church. And then on the back, it says be our guest this weekend. I did not put the date on there on purpose so we can use these over and over again. <clears throat> Sunday worship at 10 a.m. Warning, we are not normal. We believe that church should be fun and relevant. So if you're tired of doing the same thing over and over and getting the same results, then why don't you give New Life a try? We think you'll be glad you did. It has our website. It has a map of how to get here. We want you to invite people. So like if you're inviting them to back to church Sunday, I encourage you to either have them over for lunch or go out to lunch. You give them a card and say, would you come with me on September 19th, right? If you're going to put this on a gas pump, if you're going to put it on a mirror at the gas station or wherever you go to at a restaurant, it's okay to leave it and they can find us that way. We're just going to see how many people really would be interested in coming to a different type church, all right? <clears throat> um, marriage night is coming up. I would encourage you to invite someone to come to marriage night on September 24th. It's $20 a person, $40 a couple. Have fellowship right now. Me and Janie and Casey and Sherry are going to have great fellowship because we're the only four signed up. And, and I, I don't mean to be cocky, but I think our marriages are pretty good. You like your wife, don't you? I like my most of the time. I like my wife most of the time. She likes me some of the time. We're going to have a lot of fun, me and, me and Janie and Casey and Sherry. You're going to get fed, and then you're going to have some practical things poured into you about how you can be married and do it well. Be the church. Okay, <clears throat> for be the church, we've got a couple of things going on. First of all, we have 74 backpacks that the Southern Baptist Convention donated to our church. And what we want to do is we want people to take a backpack. These are back here in the living room. Fill it up with school supplies. Whatever God leads you to put in there, you fill it up. You take it with us for October 10th when we go out to Elkhart. And we have Be the Church. All right? So October 9th, we're going to have church back here. A night of worship on the back uh, parking lot. Sunday morning, we're going to go out and we're going to have backpacks. We're going to have food. We're going to ask you to buy, a, you know, the <clears throat> at Walmart, they have the sacks. I think they're a dollar, the reusable sacks, isn't that right? A dollar, whatever. We're asking you to buy a sack, put non-perishable food in it. So you can do a backpack. You can do a, a, a sack of food. We're going to take that stuff out there and we're going to have this massive deal. So we're going to, we're going <clears> to <throat> be going out the week ahead of time. We're going to mow what's called the campus. It's where the, um, Historical marker is out there on 294. We're going to mow it on, sec on October 2nd so that all the grass will be laid down. And then on October 10th, we're going to go out there. We're going to have all of the, the clothes that we normally give out in a clothes giveaway. We're going to have sacks of food. We're going to have backpacks. We're going to do face painting. We're going to have inflatable games. We are going to have this massive thing where we tell people about the love of Jesus. And I don't expect necessarily anyone to come to church from that, but we are going to say, look at that church right over there, First Baptist Church. You could go serve there. You could go. There's churches all over Elkhart. We're not out there trying to build ourselves. We're out there trying to give because God said give. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water to a child in my name, it is not wasted. How much more can we give backpacks and food to someone in the name of Jesus and it will not be wasted? What are you going to sacrifice for the kingdom of God? We're going back to Lake Charles, December 17th. That's a Friday night. <clears throat> you can leave after school because most of the kids get out early that day. 
Uh, we're going to drive down Friday night. We'll work on Saturday. We'll go to church on Sunday. This is awesome. I got to talk to Pastor Harris. So we'll go to church with them on Sunday, and they have given us permission to stream their church service back here. So if you can't go with us, you need to be here that day because it's going to be an awesome. He goes, he goes, you want to do that? And I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, we'll make it good. <laughs> and I said, sweet. And then he said two other things. He said, we may be in our new worship center, but we may need your help finishing up our, it's not a new worship center. It was destroyed. The, the, the roof was ripped off during the hurricane. One year ago, we're at one year anniversary and there's not been any, there's been very little federal money come to help. They do have a new roof, but, but there's no sheetrock. They got a team coming in a couple weeks to put sheetrock in the worship center. We'll probably be work, working in the worship center. But then he said, we normally do a candlelight Christmas Eve service, or Christmas service, not Christmas Eve, Christmas service that night. He said, would it be okay if we have a candlelight Christmas service with your church in our worship center? I said, would it be okay I'm like, yes. So I, I, we're going to have our board meeting this Wednesday night. We'll let you know next week um, how much it's going to cost. Um, but we're going to go down and we're just going to serve. There's something else we're going to do. And, and uh, well, I, I got to get board permission before I can tell you that. <clears throat> the antidote to whining and complaining is sacrifice. To give your life for something bigger than you. And no offense. I don't know many jobs out there that last forever. You know, help me out. Who's got a job that what I'm doing right now will last for eternity? That I hope to God I'm doing in eternity. George, you want to be put on roofs in eternity? No. I'll answer that for him. What we're doing lasts for eternity. I'm, I'm sorry, there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. There's nothing like the local church when the wo- local church is working wrong. We want to be one that works right. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take you sacrificing, me sacrificing. Together, we're going to change the eternal destinies of some people. And we're not even going to know till we get to heaven. So God wants you to do a couple of things. He wants you to serve in this church or in a church. And he wants you to serve as the church. We are giving you all kinds of opportunities in the next few weeks to serve as the church. Next Sunday, we're going to have family worship. It's fifth Sunday. We're going to be out at Lakeview. There will not be a stream next week. No streaming services. You can get out there as early as you want to. If you want to go fishing or whatever, you can go out there. Services are going to be at 10 o'clock. So when you, I don't know if you know about um, Lakeview, but we're going to put up a few signs. We're going to be in an open-air tabernacle. We're going to worship. We're going to have um, projector and all of that stuff. We want you to bring your own lunch. The uh, swimming pool will be open with um, lifeguards until 2 p.m. We will be having... Um, black light dodgeball that will be open till 2 p.m. And then, you know, you just, you can play all day. Um, but we're encouraging you to bring somebody with you, bring your own picnic lunch. You're, you're on your own for that. And we're just going to have a blast that day. Um, but when you drive in the, in Lakeview, there's this long thing and it goes all the way to the back and there's this big open air gym at the back. I don't know if you know that. When you get there, you're going to turn left. You're going to go down a little bit and turn left again and go towards the lake. Our big tabernacle is going to be over there by the lake. But we'll have some signs that tell you um, how to get there. A couple other things and we're done. Um, We've got a new card called Welcome Home Card. It's a connect card. 
If you want any information about um, men's Bible study, youth group, women's Bible study, the preteen group, Celebrate Recovery, small group, service opportunities, children's volunteer, uh, worship team, security team, youth volunteer, guest services team, Facebook live team, uh, preteen volunteer, audiovisual team, kid check volunteer, any of these things, go back to our welcome center back here. You fill this out and someone will contact you within the week to 10 days to tell you more about that ministry and how you can begin serving in that ministry. Um, the other thing I was supposed to mention is the landing, which is CR for, for 13 to 18 year olds is going to happen this year. It's the 14th. Is that right? 14th of September. Um, so that's a Tuesday night and it's going to crank back up then. We have two baskets in the back. One is our joy basket. That's how we give at NLCC. Um, you, can, you can do that or you can go online to nlccp.com and you can find a giving tab and figure out how to give that way. Uh, second basket is our registration card basket. So if you have a prayer concern, you can write that on there, drop, drop it in there, and I will pray for you this week. If you say it's okay to share, I'll share with our prayer team. Um, <clears throat> man, that's rough. Those eggs going in were bad and coming out were bad because I coughed those suckers right out. So you needed to know that. Um, eat another one. You know what was happening? I was talking to George. And I was out and I went, <laughs> you didn't even see it, dude. I was out here. I was dying out here in the parking lot. It was awesome. Don't forget, don't forget your uh, cards to invite people for back to church Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that, that you have the power to say peace be still and, and a storm, a physical storm, a spiritual storm, an emotional storm will be still. Teach us what it means to be quiet and humble and to bow before your feet so that you can lift us up and make a difference for all eternity. Go before us, Lord, to Lakeview next week. I pray we have a great time out there. Go before us to marriage night and back to church and be the church and all the things that are going on. And Lake Charles, Lord, I pray you raise up a group of people to go and serve. And I pray we make a difference in people's lives in Palestine and in Lake Charles. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hug four people. Tell them you love them. Get out of here.